This is The Guardian. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week he has a candid conversation with guests, including Prime Ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Last week, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson made an announcement in Parliament that felt, well, somewhat out of the blue. Provided the current encouraging trends in the data continue, it is my expectation that we will be able to end the last domestic restrictions, including the legal requirement to self-isolate if you test positive, a full month early, Mrs. Speaker. This means that all COVID restrictions in England could end on the 24th of February. And whilst some might be asking, why now? The announcement comes, of course, at a difficult time for the Prime Minister politically, leading many to suspect a political motivation behind the move. But whether you believe that or not, England will be one of the first Western countries to leave restrictions behind. Others are wondering, what will living with the virus actually mean? It's a question that's particularly important for those who, despite vaccinations, are still clinically vulnerable to COVID-19. Case numbers are still quite high, we, we can't deny that, and hospital numbers are still quite high, and sadly people are still dying from this disease. So for those people who are clinically vulnerable, this is still a huge worry. Many of the unknowns may be answered on the 21st of February, when the government is set to publish a document called Living Safely with COVID, outlining the changes. But until then, we want to know, is there any science that backs up this decision? What could happen when all the restrictions are lifted? And will we still isolate when there's no longer a legal requirement to do so? From The Guardian, I'm Madeline Finlay, and this is Science Weekly. Hannah Devlin, you're a Guardian science correspondent. And so I've really been looking forward to getting your thoughts on all of this, because 
Boris Johnson's announcement in Parliament last week that all COVID restrictions would be ending a month earlier than originally planned on the 24th of February, including self-isolation being law, well, it feels like it's taken a lot of us by surprise. You've been talking to people in the scientific community since. What are some of the reactions that you've heard? Yeah, so I think it was a surprise. It's fair to say there is a consensus, and you know we've seen this across other countries too, that we're at a different place with COVID than we were a year ago or six months ago. Following on from the Omicron wave, there was a fear because it's able to somewhat escape the immunity we have from vaccines, that it could lead to far more hospitalizations. And I think once that didn't materialize, I think everyone sort of breathed a sigh of relief slightly, and we could see that there was almost a pathway towards a more normal situation where we didn't need to have such stringent restrictions. But having said that, I think the idea that you would completely lift the requirement to self-isolate I have heard a lot of people saying that it's too soon. You know, it's going to depend a little bit on whether they're still going to give a guidance for a certain period of time that people have to isolate for. And then maybe they're saying this is just kind of removing the legislation that goes along with that. But certainly the tone in which it was announced was all about you know, getting our freedoms back and lifting everything. And I think that's what took people by surprise. And we'll get on to the guidance that you mentioned there a little later. But assuming this does go ahead and Boris Johnson confirms the plans on Monday, the 21st of Feb, is there any science that actually backs up this decision to move ahead with restrictions lifting? That's a really interesting question. We haven't seen in the documents that the government publishes each week, where it kind of publishes the advice it's received from SAGE, we haven't seen anything specific about the idea of removing the need to self-isolate. To be honest, it seems as though there's a really big range of scenarios for what could happen. I think we're at a point where it's actually quite hard to predict how cases are going to change, how behaviour is going to change um, you know, in the next few months. But I I suppose the government does have some parameters that it's working within. And I guess one of them is that even lifting everything is probably not going to lead to a huge increase in number of deaths, for instance. Is this the right time, do you think, to be lifting restrictions in the sense that maybe the restrictions don't make that much difference anymore. Or if this isn't the right time, what would the right time look like? I mean, just to point out, I think the cases, for instance, last week in primary school children, the case numbers were higher than they've ever been in any age group at any time in the pandemic. So we're talking about really high case numbers still. But it is a good question of whether that matters anymore. You know, to some degree, I think we are at a point where high case numbers is not necessarily a big problem in itself. But I think what is maybe more surprising is to do it at a time when case numbers are so high and to do it um, in such a sudden fashion rather than phasing it in a bit more. COVID is still a risk and a concern for some groups of people in society. Certainly those advocacy groups and charities who are representing those people have said they'd like to see more of a plan for how these people are going to get access to 
their sort of full schedule of four doses of vaccination and access to antiviral drugs. Mm. And this does take us on to the change that seems to be concerning people the most, which is the end to self-isolation rules and whether there's going to be any guidance that replaces those. What could we expect? It's really unclear. Downing Street did clarify that they're not going to be recommending people attend work with an infectious disease. But you know, it's really unclear still whether there's going to be a kind of recommended period of isolation, whether that's going to be reduced or kind of changed to just when you're symptomatic. People are still willing to self-isolate, but people have also got to have the opportunity to do that. And, you know, if there's not going to be support from employers for people staying at home, then, you know, a lot of people might not actually have the choice. Yes, because there will be mild cases where people feel fine even when they're positive and are well enough in themselves to go into work and it seems particularly pertinent for people who work with sick and vulnerable people like nurses and carers is this a big concern yeah i mean i think the assumption is that there is still going to be some testing required for nhs staff and that perhaps there'll be more stringent guidelines for people who are healthcare workers but uh, it does feel quite strange to have gone from last week healthcare workers who weren't fully vaccinated were facing being sacked if they didn't get uh, their full vaccines to this week a sort of potential removal of any legal requirements to self-isolate at all. Although we don't have any guidance at the moment, assuming there will be, moving from legislation to guidance kind of puts the onus on individuals. And I know that you've spoken to some behavioural scientists about what happens when we lift restrictions and people have to make personal decisions about their own risk level and what they're comfortable with. I mean, what are your thoughts on this two years into the pandemic where at least in the UK, we have seen quite a number of rule changes. Based on, you know, having spoken to behavioural experts in the past, they've told me that regardless of what people's attitudes are, changing the rules does always tend to shift behaviour and it has been consistently the dominant feature that's driven behaviour if you look at the way the rules have changed um, throughout the pandemic. And so they, they've shown that when you take the rules away, Um, You don't kind of see a a sort of, you know, caution dropping off a cliff, but you do see a gradual dropping away of protective behaviours. And that happens even when attitudes are not changing that much. So, you know, when we looked at what happened with masks, um, once there was no longer a mandate to wear masks on transport and in shops, a lot of people still said they thought it was a good idea, but fewer and fewer people actually wore the masks. Mm, And certainly it's hard to keep up restrictions when you're at odds with what everyone else is doing around you. Again, even when people's attitudes are sort of, you know, still cautious, I think once a certain threshold is crossed and the social norm shifts, you kind of see a hastening of how behaviour changes overall. So once a lot of people around you are kind of not bothering to self-isolate anymore, if that's what were to happen, then I think it's kind of harder to maintain those behaviours. No, and of course, for some people, it is very hard to self-isolate. It's a difficult thing to do. Yeah, that's true for a lot of people and for different reasons. 
Finally, Hannah, I know we want to get back to how things were before, but we can't escape the fact that we do have a new, very infectious virus that appears to be here to stay. And living with COVID doesn't have to mean that there's no public health measures whatsoever. So what could we see continue or be brought in to stop huge numbers of cases? I think given where we are at the moment in terms of the sort of level of risk we're facing from COVID, there would be an extremely high bar for bringing in any new restrictions again. You know, a lot of people would like to see some protections remaining in place. And one of those is having really good surveillance. The government's considering at the moment whether to keep going with the ONS survey, the Office for National Statistics, weekly survey of prevalence of COVID in the country. I think a lot of people would like to see that remain in place for the moment so that if there was anything like Omicron that turned up, we'd be able to spot it quickly. And then, yes, other people have also pointed out that, you know, we should be more ambitious than just wanting to avoid a huge wave of death from COVID. There's a lot that we could take from the pandemic. Things like improving ventilation in classrooms, in public spaces, you know, while we might not be at a point where we're facing a huge wave of hospitalizations or deaths, there's still good reasons to keep some of these policies in place. Hannah, thank you so much. It will certainly be interesting to see what happens next. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) it's never going to stop being um, throwing surprises and um, I think we've got a a good while yet to go before we can completely stand down on COVID from our side. Thanks again to Hannah Devlin. You can find all our coronavirus coverage at theguardian.com. Now, I want to tell you about a special subscription offer for The Guardian Weekly magazine. If you haven't read it before, then you might not know that it's a roundup of world news, opinion and long reads that have shaped the week, handpicked from The Guardian and Observer and all neatly packaged up in one magazine. And if you subscribe now, you'll get 50% off for three months. But this offer is only available until Sunday the 20th of February. So don't miss your last chance to subscribe to The Guardian Weekly for 50% off for three months. Visit theguardian.com forward slash weekly sub. And that's it from us here on Science Weekly. We'll be back on Thursday. See you then. This is The Guardian. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week, he has a candid conversation with guests, including prime ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts.